Well, good morning, everybody. It's November. Only two more months left on the calendar. Anybody excited? Man, I'll bet you the students here are excited because just in a couple of weeks is a nice long break from school, yeah? Yeah. And of course, it feels like November with it being 77 degrees yesterday. Um, but uh, yes, that means that, ladies and gentlemen, you may have to mow your lawns yet again before the season. Wendy's, Wendy's telling me to be quiet. But you love to mow the lawn. That's what you always tell me. I love mowing the lawn, but only through October. But it is, it is the first week in November, and that means that in three weeks, we will start the season of Advent. Yes, it is fast coming upon us. So um, as we uh, approach that season, uh, just be in prayer, uh, just be in an attitude of service, an attitude of uh, just serving God. And uh, Advent is the time when we see a, a little bit of an influx of people coming into churches and this is our opportunity, not just for the pastor to get up and, and preach messages, but for the entire church to reach out and to meet new people and to show them the love of Christ. So uh, that is my prayer for Morning Hour Chapel for this season. My mother and father raised 12 kids for at least part of the kids' lives. Uh, three of us were adopted uh, several of us were foster children that kind of came and stayed. Uh, then there were some that came for a little bit of time. Uh, they were having trouble at home, and my mother, of course, would invite them in to the uh, chagrin of my father. Um, but she would invite them in. Here's a sofa. Here's a cot. Here's a place to sleep on the floor, wherever. But she wanted to just keep them safe. She wanted to keep them protected. And uh, my parents just really kind of opened their home um, a lot of times to uh, people that, that were in need, especially kids. And growing up, it was, it was interesting because we, uh, we had our little core group, right? Our, our little core of, of adopted kids. Uh, my mom only had one kid uh, from a previous marriage and she was an adult by the time we were around. But in our house, as people were coming and going and all of these things were happening and we were meeting all these new people, um, it, was, it was wonderful because we all got along perfectly. And we never ever argued or fought about anything. 12 people, two bathrooms, and no problems whatsoever. And, and, and more than half of the people in the house were girls. So we just didn't, it was nothing. It was, we were always supportive of each other, and we always just said the nicest things to each other. And if you believe that, I've got a beachfront house in Kansas I'd like to talk to you about after the service. I fought with my brothers and sisters often. We would fight. We loved each other. We supported each other. We had each other's backs. If anything ever happened, man, we were, we were out the door. We were ready. We, you don't mess with the Dorica kids. But man, did we fight. And we argued. And sometimes we even came to blows. Eh, well, kind of pushing and shoving. We didn't punch each other. But we did 
do some wrestling out in the backyard sometimes when we were a little bit frustrated. But man, it was a little loud sometimes in our house. And, and it's tough. You guys all have families. You know how tough it is sometimes for families to get along. We always, even, even the, the best families, right? The ones that we see at church on Sunday mornings and all of the children and all of the parents are all smiling and everything is just fine and dandy. Guess what? They have friction too. They just don't bring it here. But we do. We experience friction. We experience anger. We experience hurt. And sometimes it's hard for us to get along. And the church, universal, the church, is Christ's family. And in Romans chapter 8, verses 16 to 17, we read, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And when we think of this word heir, right, we get that word inheritance. And who usually inherits the father's possessions, the father's belongings. It's the children. We are children of God. And we're looking at the Brethren in Christ core values this fall. And this morning, we're going to explore core value number eight. That value is pursuing peace. And what it reads is, we value all human life and promote forgiveness, understanding, reconciliation, and nonviolent resolution of conflict. And again, my brothers and I sometimes had a problem with that last one, the nonviolent resolution of conflict. But this is what we're called to. We're called to promote forgiveness and understanding and reconciliation. These are the things that Christ expects us to do. And over the past weeks, we've looked at and we've talked about what it is to pursue peace among other Christians. Uh, a lot of the other core values have sprinkled in them kind of how we get along, how we do things as a church. And this morning I want to focus our uh, pursuing peace on those who don't yet know who Jesus is. These people are called the enemies of God. If we are his children, they are his enemies. And this core value, like all others, is grounded in Jesus. Jesus speaks often of pursuing peaceful resolutions to conflict. And we read in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, one of the Beatitudes says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, the Greek word here for sons means anyone sharing the same nature as their father. So we can actually read this as sons and daughters of God or children of God. And we read in Romans that we are children of God. And what Jesus is saying here, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God, is that peacemakers share the nature of God in their peacemaking. God seeks peace, and so should we. And later in Matthew, Jesus preaches about physical and emotional conflict. And during this Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 39, he says, You have heard it was said, 
an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And this doesn't simply mean don't retaliate, don't strike back. This, Jesus is talking about an attitude here. And what it shows us is that being a follower of Jesus Christ means acting in ways that go counter to our human nature, that goes against every fiber of our being because it's human instinct for us to want to strike back. If somebody punches us in the face, what's the first thing we want to do? We want to hit them back. But it's not, just, it's not just the physical. If somebody is giving us a really hard time or bullying us or calling us names or doing something, what's the first thing we want to do? We want to get back at them. And Jesus says that's not the way that I want my disciples to do things. It's not the nature of God. God seeks peaceful resolutions. And he goes on in verse 40 to say, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Jesus is still talking about this kind of retaliatory thing. But in this case, it's our possessions. And man, do we like to protect our possessions. How many of us lock our houses? How many of us make sure our garage doors are closed? How many of us make sure that our lights are out so nobody can see all our cool toys that we have? We lock our cars. We do all of these things. And what Jesus is saying here is don't make your possessions the important thing. Jesus is saying if somebody wants to take your tunic, the tunic was the inner garment. It's the thing that was kind of worn closest to the body. If somebody wants to take your tunic, Give them your coat, too. The cloak was the outer garment. And a lot of times, people didn't have tunics, but they had cloaks, and it was the only thing that they had. And Jesus is saying, look, in the interest of making peace, if somebody takes something of yours, let them have it. Let them have it. That's right. In this way, Jesus is telling us not to fight back against someone who takes our material possessions. And Jesus is saying that we should give up even more. You want my TV? Take the DVD player too. I'll help you carry it out to your car for you. How many of us are really comfortable with that scenario? And no, it's not because you get to buy a bigger TV. <laughs> And a fancy 4K Blu-ray player. <laughs> Wendy was thinking that's what I was thinking, right? <laughs> but we're supposed to live in peace. And Jesus says in verse 41, if anyone forces you to walk one mile with them, go with them two miles. And if most of us have heard this phrase, going the extra mile, right? And usually that means doing more than, than it's expected of us to get the job done. But that's not really what this means. You see, in Jesus' time, Roman law dictated that a Roman soldier could order, could force a Jewish civilian to carry his belongings for a mile. 
a literal mile. And we're talking about his luggage, we're talking about his armor, we're talking about his weaponry. He could basically use this Jewish civilian as a pack mule for one mile. But after one mile, the law said that he had to release this Jewish citizen from that burden. And Jesus is saying, don't just go the one mile. Go another mile. Don't just throw off this burden that you are being forced to carry. Willingly carry it even further. And why does Jesus tell us to do this? The answer comes in verses 43 to 45. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father who is in heaven. Why do we walk that second mile? We walk that second mile because love compels us to. We walk that second, we walk that first mile not because we are forced, but because we love. When that Roman soldier, when that person puts this undue burden on us and says, you're going to do this, we ought to be doing it with joy and with love. Not because we like it, because that is against human nature. We should be doing it because that's what Jesus Christ calls us to do. It shows our love for that person. It shows our caring for that person. And you know what? Every once in a while, it gives us the opportunity to talk with that person, to build a relationship and a rapport with that person. And if nothing else, it gives us an opportunity, a two-mile opportunity to pray for that person. I mean, think about this. Think about this situation. You're, you're, you're in first century, you're, you're a Jewish citizen, and a soldier packs all of his stuff on your back. And you start walking. This is great. I love walking with you, man. Tell me something about yourself. When did you become a soldier? And the soldier's going to look at you and say, what are you, a weirdo? What's the matter with you? Yeah, well, no, I'm not a weirdo. I'm a Christian. Let me tell you about Jesus. Because Jesus loves you as much as he loves me. And I can witness to that person. I can tell them about the love of God. I can tell them that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but should experience eternal life. They would become children of God, heirs with Christ. And if I'm walking along grudgingly, and I don't want to talk to that person, and I'm just doing it because I have to do it, it's just like everybody else. We're supposed to be weird. We're supposed to be different. 
So how does the Brethren in Christ Church put peacemaking into practice? Brethren in Christ has been historically called a peace church, and some of you know what a peace church is. Uh, uh, the Quakers, the Mennonites, uh, the Brethren churches, uh, some Seventh-day Adventists, a lot of uh, churches come under this idea of peace church. And usually when we think of peace church, we kind of limit that to conflicts of war, right? Peace churches say, uh, we're not going to participate in armed conflict. And even the earliest BIC confession of faith declared that it is completely forbidden to use the sword for revenge or defense. This was way back in the 1700s when they first put out their doctrine of faith. And this statement, I mean, it does, it mirrors Jesus' own statement in Matthew 26 when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane being arrested. And we read in verses 51 and 52, Behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. He cut off his ear because he was a bad shot. But he cut off his ear. And Jesus looked at him and said, put your sword back. Put your sword back in its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. And for many years, the members of the Brethren in Christ Church were either straight out forbidden or very strongly discouraged against serving in the military, serving in, even serving in public office. You weren't supposed to run for anything. You weren't supposed to vote for anybody. And of course, during the Civil War, the Brethren in Christ, the Quakers, the Mennonites, all of these other peace churches, they actually paid the government to be able to not send their members into the Civil War. Now, in the 21st century, the BIC's stance against armed conflict remains pretty strong, but there's not this, this forbidding kind of language anymore. In 2020, the Manual of Doctrine and Government says, Christians should build a positive peace witness that permeates their daily lives and should testify against violence and war, consistently showing love and concern for all. And this is the important part in this, in this doctrine. Since the body of Christ is international, that means because Christians live in every country in the world, love of nation is secondary to fellowship in the body of Christ and mission to people everywhere. The church, again, they're not going so far as to forbid military or public service, but it does maintain an anti-war position and a position of uh, nationalism as secondary to the kingdom of God. But really, I think this focus on avoiding the conflict of war, I think that is just a very narrow focus. I think that we need to look bigger. And as with all things, Christians ought to be asking some of these first things first questions. Some of you remember when I first came here, if you were here, um, I preached a series called First Things First. And we talked about the great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said these are the two greatest commandments. If we just lived by those two commandments, 
then we wouldn't really have a whole lot of conflict, at least amongst ourselves. But I called that sermon series First Things First because that's the priority. And the first things first question we have to ask when we're talking about pursuing peace is how do we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? And how do we love our neighbor as ourselves? Because loving our neighbors as ourselves means that we want to see them become sons and daughters of God. We want to see them become brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. We want to see them have eternal life. Now, in a position paper published on the BIC website, and they do have some position papers on different things. Um, If you ever go out there, uh, I can show you where they are. But uh, these aren't necessarily the doctrine, but they are positions on some of the doctrinal things. And in this position paper, the importance of putting first things first when it comes to God's kingdom is is really made clear. And the paper says this, it says, for followers of Jesus, the basic divide is between the saved and the lost. Christians share the gospel with non-Christians. They love those who are hostile to God. And our task is to give our lives so that they can say yes to Jesus. That's our purpose. To give our lives, to give everything that we are, to turn the other cheek, to give them our coat when they take our tunic. Just so that they can see Jesus living in another person, just so they can see what Jesus has to offer. And if we allow ourselves to get caught up in conflict, whether that conflict is war or or just interpersonal fights, politics is a big one. We get a lot of kind of fighting back and forth with that. What we're saying is that It's not important to us that the person we're in conflict with gets to experience Jesus. What's more important to me is that that person gets to know what I think about something that ultimately is not kingdom-centered. That's what it's telling people. You're not as important to me as my opinion. We're saying that retaliation against those who attack us is more important than the salvation of their souls. We're saying that we don't believe in the power of God for our protection or for his justice. God tells us over and over again, you don't have to retaliate against anybody. On the last day when judgment comes, those people who are my enemies They will be judged, and they will be judged justly. You don't have to take those things into your own hands. When we strike back physically, when we strike back verbally, emotionally, we're taking God's judgment into our own hands. We're saying God's not going to take care of it. I've got to. And that's not the thoughts that we ought to be having. That's not the belief that we ought to have. We ought to believe that God will be just. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, Judge not 
that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And we use this verse, judge not, yet lest ye be judged. The world uses this a lot against Christians. Judge not, lest ye be judged. And guess what? They're right to use it against Christians. Because, man, are we judgy sometimes. We are. And Christians say, well, it's a just judgment. Well, no, it's not. God's judgment is just. Our judgment is colored by whatever our political beliefs are. Our judgment is colored by our personalities. Our judgment is colored by the things that have happened to us in our past. God's judgment is just judgment. And Jesus is telling us if we are going to judge other people, we're going to be judged exactly the same way by God. We're going to be measured exactly the same way. It is our job not to judge, but to demonstrate God's nature. And we do that by being peacemakers. We do that by not judging people. We do that by walking with them, even when we don't want to. It is our love for our enemies that should be in the forefront of everything that we do. And I know some people don't like this word, but we're supposed to be weird. People are supposed to look at us and say, what is wrong with you? That person just smacked you in the face and you're buying them a cup of coffee? Yes. That's what I'm doing. It is for us to bear witness to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ turned the other cheek. When he stood in front of those religious leaders and they were accusing him falsely of blasphemy and the soldiers were coming up and smacking him in the face and punching him and spitting on him, what did Jesus do? He stood there. He did nothing. And he could have done something. Right after he told his disciple to put up their sword after they cut off the ear of that soldier, do you know what he said? He said, I have the power to call down 10,000 angels to fight my battle for me. That is not what the Father wants. Jesus stood there and he turned the other cheek and he gave all that he had. Jesus was stripped of his tunic before he was hung on the cross. Everything that he had was taken by somebody else. Somebody who was an enemy of God. And he did That's because Jesus loved the world so much that none of those things mattered. The only thing that mattered to Jesus was our eternal life. 
has to be the only thing that matters to us. The eternal life of those who do not yet know who God is. These people who have not been reconciled to the Father through the blood of Jesus Christ, we are supposed to bear witness to what Jesus did, and we are supposed to do those things that he did. Jesus said, if you are not willing to take up your cross and follow me, and when he said follow me, he meant follow me to crucifixion. Follow me to death. If we're not willing to do that, we cannot be called disciples of Jesus Christ. Those are not my words. Those are the words of Jesus. And our commandment from Jesus Christ, the head of the church, is to love God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. We love ourselves enough that we were able to make the decision to confess our sins. Why wouldn't we love other people enough to help them find reconciliation with God? That's my encouragement to you today. Stop thinking of people as on a different political spectrum. Stop thinking of people as bullies. Stop thinking of people as those annoying people that take the last of the coffee at work. That whole spectrum of people, those are people that we are supposed to love. We're supposed to love them to life. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for today, we thank you for just this time that we are able to come and worship you. We thank you for that freedom to do that in the open when so many others don't have that option. Father, we also thank you that those people who are in danger when they worship you still worship you. Father, help us to see with your eyes the enemies that you have, the enemies that you would have lay down their swords and repent of their sins and be reconciled to you for eternal life. Give us the strength, give us the courage, and just give us the love to see all people who don't know you as people who could. Father, we thank you so much for sending your Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, we thank you for obeying the Father. Spirit, we thank you for coming and indwelling in us. We just thank you. Amen. This morning we're going to commemorate the last supper of Jesus Christ before he died. And Jesus asks us during this time to remember him, to remember his body 
that was broken for us, to remember his blood that was shed for us. And again, I want to encourage us as we eat this bread, as we drink this cup, let us remember those people who God puts into our lives every single day. People who don't yet know him. They have been put in our lives for a reason. God wants us to be Jesus' witnesses to them. As you're preparing this morning, think about that person that's been put into your life. That person who's hurt you or that person who just annoys you. And pray for them. And then pray and ask God how he wants you to proceed. In a few minutes we'll have the deacons come up. Uh, if you've never had communion here with us before, uh, we will come to the front, get the bread, get the cup, return to our seats, and then we will partake together. We'll give you a few moments to prepare. And also, uh, if you have any prayer needs, uh, our head deacon, uh, Linda Guys, will be over here on this side if you'd like to come up and have prayer for anything. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, was having supper with his disciples. They were celebrating the Passover. Jesus, knowing full well that he would be the ultimate Passover lamb. As they were eating dinner, Jesus took a loaf of bread and he broke it and he blessed it. He passed it to his disciples and he said, Take and eat this. This is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you eat it, remember what I have done. Body of Christ. Disciples finished supper, and after they did, Jesus took a cup of wine, and again he raised it to heaven and he blessed it and passed it around to his disciples. And he said, drink this, all of you. This wine is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, remember what I'm about to do for you. Blood of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul tells us that as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we do remember the Lord's death until he comes. You are the light of the world. Jesus was called the light of the world. We are to shine his light in every dark place. And just picture this. Anyone who is without Jesus, who is not reconciled to God, is in a dark place. I encourage you to shine your light. Don't be afraid to be weird. Don't be afraid to show people who Jesus Christ is by showing them the nature of God.
God bless you this week.